You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time at 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net, broadcasting from their brand-new state-of-the-art studios in the tech-space facilities in beautiful Costa Mesa. If you're listening to the show in the future as a podcast, we do encourage you to consider listening to the program live during our broadcast. Times. This show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Succession Strategies, Smart Business Magazine, and Smart Stop Self Storage. The goal for this show is to help you, our, help you, our listening audience, to make better and more informed business decisions. The first segment of the program today, I'm going to be talking about two different events that I had the pleasure of attending recently. On Wednesday, uh, October 23rd, I was at the Economic forecast and conference put on by California State University at Fullerton. I heard Dr. Mira Farka, Ph.D., who is the co-director for the Center for Economic Analysis and Forecasting. She's also an associate professor for the Department of Economics at Mahalo College of Business and Economics, as well as I heard Dr. Dean Neil Anil Puri. He's the dean of the of the Mahalo College of Business and Economics, as well as the director of the Center for economic analysis and forecasting. You know, the term escape velocity is the newest and edgiest buzzword to have invaded the macroeconomic lexicon of today's reporting on the health of the economy and its outlook in what's thought of as econo-speak. For them, escape velocity is viewed these days as a less-than-perfect approximation for when the Federal Reserve will begin to unwind its massive liquidity programs unleashed to aid the ailing economy. And so I sat with both Dr. Puri and Dr. Farka and discussed with them what they were preparing to present at the economic forecast. And so I thought it would be good to first talk and hear from Dr. Puri, and then we'll come back and talk for a little bit, and then we'll hear from Dr. Farka. So our first segment is my interview with Dr. Anil Puri, who is the director for Center, director of the Center for Economic Analysis and Forecasting. This is Rick Branzi with Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm at today's economic forecast conference put on by Cal State Fullerton. I'm talking right now with Dr. Anil Puri, who is the director for the Center for Economic Analysis and Forecasting, as well as the dean for Mahalo College of Business and Economics at Cal State University, Fullerton. Dr. Puri, it's nice to speak with you again today. Thank you. First question I'd like to ask you is, can you explain the term escape velocity, specifically as it relates to reporting on the health of the U.S. economy and its outlook? No, escape velocity comes from... Um, you can say astrophysics, for lack of a better term, and it refers to the fact that when an object leaves the gravitational pull of Earth and goes out of that pull, it can be self-sustaining. It does not need rockets to propel itself. It just keeps going. So as applied to macroeconomics, the way we are using escape velocity is, has the economy reached a point where it can sustain its growth path without help from the Federal Reserve Bank or uh, some expansionary policy by the federal government. And we're going to be learning a little bit more about your analysis and forecast uh, in a little bit here at the conference, right? Yes, we'll be talking about it, and we're going to to be discussing whether we have reached that velocity or not. 
And uh, actually, just to give you a preview, yes. uh, I don't think that we are there yet. There are a number of things that have happened, especially the shutdowns that recently happened, that is sort of bending the trajectory of the economy in ways that is not very fruitful. So we are not there yet, but we are very hopeful that the economy will reach this escape velocity very soon, perhaps by the end of next year. That sounds like a critical tipping point for the growth and uh, the future of the economy, being able to reach escape velocity. Absolutely. You know, economy cannot continue to depend on fiscal and monetary stimulus. Private sector, household, businesses, they are the ones who really drive the economy. And the sooner uh, it sustains that growth based on private support, the better it is. In looking through part of what you were uh, prepared for today's conversation at the conference, it seems to me that the consumer is back in the economy, but the businesses are still tepid and not back the way the consumers have become. Consumers have started to spend more, but you know what? Consumer income is still below before what where it was before the recession. Their wealth has built up a little better because of improvements in the housing market and the stock market, but because the jobs haven't been growing rapidly enough and incomes have not grown, people haven't gotten raises in a long time. So there's improvement, but a lot more is needed for the economy to get that sustainable path. It's interesting to me how interrelated all these factors are in economics as you look out. Your report points out how important new business formations have been to historical job growth in the U.S. What factors that are restrained new business formation, what are the factors that restrain new business formation, and what's your outlook going forward for new business formation and job growth? You know, a lot of the job growth occurs because of startups and new new jobs, because they create net new jobs. You no know, large companies, existing companies add jobs, but real growth comes from startups and new job, new companies. The reason that rate has slowed down, because of the recession, risk has gone up, funding has been cut back, credit standards are very, very high, so entrepreneurs don't have the resources to start a new firm. And in a difficult economic climate, it's hard to start a new firm. But now that the economy is getting better, credit standards are being relaxed a little bit, and household and individuals have better balance sheets because new businesses are started by individuals, by entrepreneurs. And so they are in a little bit better financial shape. I think going forward, you'll see an increase in the startup. You know, Orange County in particular. Orange County is the sort of hotbed of new companies. We survive on the growth of new companies. We have very few, you know, 500, Fortune 500 companies. So I think Orange County is more negatively impacted by this fall off in startup of uh, new, new companies. But I think going forward, we, sh- we should see better, better results. I can really see, as you explain that, how important the housing market is tied to new business formation since many entrepreneurs use the wealth of their home to really be the seed capital to start their first venture. Absolutely. As I said, the small, new businesses, small businesses are started by household, and they use their personal savings, and home equity is one of the biggest savings accounts that individuals have. So now that those are building up again, and they may be able to use some of that equity to start new businesses when they have a good idea. So this is a perfect time for my final question, which is, from your research and forecast, can we talk a little bit about the Orange County housing market as well as employment, what you see in your forecast for both entities, the housing market in Orange County and employment? Orange County housing prices, as you know, have been on a tear. Uh, they have been increasing on a year-over-year basis 20% plus. We don't think that can continue. That was sort of a bounce back from the very deep 
uh, recession that we've had. So for a year or so, that has been going on. We do a survey, actually, every quarter of business executives in Orange County. And for the first time, they're saying that, majority are saying that they don't expect more than 5% increase in 2014 in the median home prices. But that's still a positive increase, so that's great. But it has to come in balance with what's happening in the rest of the economy, how the job growth has been moderate, positive but moderate. So we expect continued improvement in housing and upward pressure on prices, but it, I think it will be a slower pace going forward than it has been. Construction has improved. Uh, there are a lot of foreign investors that have come into the market, so that's also pushing up prices. So outlook for housing is positive going forward. I noticed in your report as well that some of the speculative investment in housing is kind of waning as the prices have kind of come back, and now it's getting back to more of what I think of as traditional. I'm moving up or moving out, and people are going to buy that home. Um, do you think there are enough people uh, available to take the supply and to buy the homes, given what you said earlier with the fact that personal income hasn't grown? Yeah. During the recession, when prices of homes fell very dramatically, and alternative investments weren't paying much, investors swooped in and bought a whole bunch of distressed properties. But now I think that factor is pretty much eliminated. Going forward, it'll be the household that'll be buying. Now, in the, during the recession, household formation rates fell. Uh, kids, they would rather move, stay with the parents than start and rent an apartment or buy a home. But I think as the economic conditions improve, household formation rates have started to go up, and they'll continue to go up. And with increase in employment and income, there'll be a broader, more solid base that will sustain housing prices. All right, that was my interview with Dr. Neil uh, Perry, and he is the dean of Cal State Fullerton's Mahalo College of Business and Economics. Let's now turn our attention to the second interview that I did during the uh, forecast and outlook, which was with Dr. Mira Farka. I focused on employment and job creation with Dr. Farka, so let's hear our interview with Dr. Mira Farka. This is Rick Franzi with Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm meeting with Dr. Mira Farka, who is the co-director for the Center for Economic Analysis and Forecasting, as well as an associate professor at the Department of Economics for Mahalo College of Business and Economics at Cal State University, Fullerton. Dr. Farka, it's good to talk with you today. Good to talk to you, Rick. First question I'd like to ask you. Your report tells a dark story about the labor market. Since February 2010, total employment has grown by six or seven million but we lost over 8.7 million jobs during the recession while the working age population has expanded i wonder for our audience if you could explain the contributing factors that go into the headline number which we know is the unemployment rate sure uh the unemployment rate is a little bit more complex than one the, the what the headline number show there's a couple of moving parts. Number one, as you pointed out, we've had, uh, we haven't quite recovered the jobs that we lost during the recession. But keep in mind that during this time, population grow, uh, grew by about 13 million people. And this creates that problem that not only are we still below pre-recession levels, the employment level is below where it was in 2000, in December 2007, but we actually have to soak up not only those jobs, but those that actually that would normally enter the labor force since then. 
the labor force participation rate is on average about 66%. It's actually dropped dramatically, which means that a lot of people have actually left, are being discouraged of less the labor force. So what we're left with, if and, and, and in my opinion, the better gauge of the labor market is the employment to population ratio. It's basically how many jobs, how many people are employed totally versus how many are, are there in the population. That ratio is at the lowest point in 30 years. It's actually about 58% right now, which means, and it hasn't budged since the beginning of the recovery. It stayed at about 58% throughout. So that basically shows that there hasn't been a real recovery in the labor market, despite the fact that we've added about 7 million jobs since then. So it's a bit more complex. Yes, thank you for that. And let's talk about jobs, because a very high percentage of the jobs created are part-time jobs. Can you share the possible reasons for such persistently high ratios of part-time jobs to full-time jobs? Right. Uh, the the part-time to full-time jobs is fairly new phenomenon. It's actually this year. If you look at the data, up until July, the first half of the year, we've added the ratio to part-time to full-time jobs is actually 3 to 1. That's way above the norm. Usually it's about 0.1 to 0.3. Uh, this is way above the norm. Now, clearly, one of the reasons we don't have enough uh, data at this point to tease out a causality at, at this stage, but it could be very well uh, due to the fact that due to the employer mandate of the Affordable Care Act. And the reason why we say that is because if you look at the most recent data, which is August and September, which came out after we actually after the postponement of the employer mandate the ratio of part-time to full-time jobs actually dropped so now we're back to almost the historical level which means that you know the employers are now going back to hiring full-time uh workers but we'll be back the problem is we'll be back here next year this was only postponed for one year we'll be back here next year and we'll see we'll have the same sort of a phenomenon i i suspect well that'll be an interesting uh, research for you to do and another compelling reason to come to next year's economic forecast, isn't it? Absolutely. We'd love to see you here. <laughs> I have one more question for you. As it relates to employment, your report also shows that new employment has disproportionately increased in industries that play, pay below average wages. Do you forecast the lack of wage growth to continue in this country? The answer is yes and no. We forecast the wage, what we call the wageless recovery to go on for a bit longer probably early till early next year. And the reason why that's the case is that the industries that have recovered most more robustly are though, at least in the early stage of the recovery, are those that have to do mostly with part-time employment. Retailing has gone up, leisure and hospitality have gone up. They tend to have not only part-time jobs, but also uh, low jobs. The outlook that we're, we're going to lay out today is one of uh, a, a bit more of an improvement in this direction that perhaps in mid-2014 all the way to the end of 2015, we should see improvement and we should see that other better paying jobs come in, come in the pipeline. So the answer is not so much in the short term in terms of improvement, but perhaps in the long term we have a slightly better uh, outlook in terms of wages. Final thought, and correct me if I'm incorrect in this, but it sounds like we're back to basic supply and demand. We have many people looking for work. The demand is still slack. I'm not sure why wages would increase, except for in industries and professions where there's high demand, even given the recession. Is, is that a fair assessment? That's absolutely true, yeah. I mean, there is a, there's a lot of competition for jobs. Uh, and that has certainly put downward pressure in wages. And that's one of the reasons why we don't foresee, for example, inflation picking up anytime soon, because there's so much slack in the economy, even in terms of wages. So you're right. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate it. If you've never gone to the Cal State 
uh, University of Fullerton's economic, uh, economic forecast and outlook, I can I highly suggest you do it. They have a mid-year usually in the spring, and then the annual, which is in October. And I wanted to play those two uh, audio clips. I also uh, recently attended the West Coast franchise expo and had the opportunity to talk to a number of franchisors who were there looking for franchisees the reason is because so much of job growth is created through new franchises if you remember dr farka and dr purry talked about how new job new business formation was a driver of new jobs so i thought well this would be a great time to share with you a few of the interviews that i conducted at the expo so let's listen to uh, several of them and then i'll come back and talk about the expo which was at anaheim at the convention center this is rick franzi at the west coast franchise expo and i'm talking with julian gordon of amramp tell me a little bit more about amramp julian amramp is a unique franchise opportunity that rents and sells ramps to people in wheelchairs now, with the aging population amongst us and on top of us, as you know, there's 35 million Social Security recipients in this country today. That number doubles to 70 million in the year 2023. And also, health, 80% of health care is spent in the last 20% of life. What really drives the business, though, is the fact that they don't want you in the hospital at all anymore. They want to send you home the day before you got there. Why? Because it costs thousands per day to keep you in a major medical facility. And the insurer who's paying for it would love to get you home instantly in a lower cost to him um, visiting nurse home health care setting. And that's where we come in. We enable the discharge. We rent and sell ramps to those folks so they can safely get in and out of the house. Because while not in the hospital, they still require many of the services that they did get in the hospital physical therapy, chemotherapy, and dialysis. That means mom's got to safely get dad out of the house three times a week without dropping him. That's where we come in. So how has this franchise show been for you so far? Well, I've met a lot of interesting people. We have 50 locations, and we're looking to fill in some of the great spaces in the West. Uh, I'm very happy with the um, people who I've met so far. So you say in the west, you know, Southern California. How does Southern California look for you? Being from Boston, anything west of the Mississippi is considered <laughs> the west for us. We have uh, L.A. County is sold. That's our largest franchise. There's 12 million people in that one county alone. Um, we've sold Salt Lake, Boise, Portland, and we're trying to fill in between that and Denver. So tell me about the profile of the ideal franchisee for your organization. Right. It's essential that you see the benefit in providing a service as we do that's vitally important to people. In this business, they don't say thank you. They say God bless you and thank you because the ramp gives folks life. And we make money doing it. It's very empowering for us because it makes us enthusiastic to do something that's so important in people's lives. This is a franchise that does that. But I have to warn you, if it makes you crazy to have to listen to people tell you their story in life, this is not for you. You have to be truly an empathetic person to be good at this business. Final question. If someone wanted to learn more about AmRamp, what's your website? We're at AmRamp.com. There's a franchising link and a product link, and we look forward to hearing from anybody who's interested. Thank you, Julian. Then, thank you. This goes Franchise Expo. This is Rick Franzi with Critical Mass Radio Show, and I'm speaking with Bill Reynolds. How you doing, Rick? Bill, I'm doing well, thank you. You're with Tilted Kilt. Tell me a little bit about your concept. So the Tilted Kilt um, is a sports pub. Um, combines elements of Ireland, Scotland, 
old world England. Um, we all know that everybody loves to go into an uh, Irish pub. So we've got that going on. But it's also a sports pub with really good food. And it's funny, Rick, a lot of times first-time guests will come into our locations, and as they're leaving or when we, we, we stop in and talk to them at the table, one thing we hear a lot is, wow, the food is much better than expected. So the food is a big selling point for us, too. So, um, and also a little dash of sex appeal with our, with our staff that goes on. So tell me about your plans for expansion here in Southern California. C- certainly. Rick, I, uh, I'm the area developer for San Diego County and also Orange County. We currently have one pub open in Orange, right on the cusp of the Anaheim border. Um, we intend to open four more pubs in Orange County. And are you looking for franchisees for that? And if so, tell me about the model for the ideal business partner franchisee for Tilted Kilt. We absolutely are. In fact, you know, Rick, we're looking, we're a high energy concept. So we're looking for folks that like to have fun at what they do, that like to bring energy to the workplace, or in our case, the pub, but also have, you know, restaurant experience um, or, or have the ability to bring on folks with restaurant experience. Uh, to help them in their tilted kilt endeavor. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts to our concept, but having said that, if you have somebody with restaurant experience um, that you can manage, you're also going to get a tremendous amount of support from the franchisor and also folks like me, the area developer of that territory. So we're looking for folks that want to have fun, want to make money, and do it in a very high energetic fashion. And if someone wanted to go online to learn more about Tilted Kilt and maybe the franchise opportunities that are available, how do they find you online, Bill? That would be TiltedKilt.com. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. Enjoy your weekend. This is Rick Franzi with Critical Mass Radio Show, and I'm speaking with... Uh, Mike Mohammed, CEO of Chronic Tacos. Mike, tell me a little bit about the concept behind Chronic Tacos. Well, Chronic Tacos is, uh, we like to look at ourselves as a bit of a lifestyle brand. We are founded in Orange County. Um, we're third generation recipes, uh, authentic flavor, you know, customizable, made to order. Uh, we're fast casual, so everything's fresh, made throughout the day. And how many locations do you have? Uh, currently we have 30 locations, mostly in California. We've got uh, about 18 in Orange County. Uh, we're in Canada. We just opened up at the Palms uh, Hotel and Casino in Nevada as well. So you're at the show today looking for new franchisees, I take it. How has the show been for you so far? Uh, it's been great. It's actually our first trade show. So, uh, you know, we've grown just by word of mouth. Customers, people come in. They love the concept. We've had guys, you know, kind of leave the corporate world and want to get into owning their own business. So this is our first chance to get out into the trade show. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of the same thing. You know, like a lot of people who are looking to get into their own business, uh, run their own business, you know, entrepreneurial type people. So let me ask you about that, Mike. What type of person makes a successful franchisee for Chronic Tacos? You know, you've got to love being in the business. So, you you know, all our franchisees, they love what they're doing. They're in their restaurants. You know, our most successful franchisees are the guys who are in the restaurants. They love to work it. Uh, We have some multi-unit guys who have managers in place, and they're very successful at that as well. But, you know, it's you got to, you know, you got to be entrepreneurial. You know, you got to love the operations and really understand our brand. So where are you looking to open up new franchises across the country? Or it sounds like you're already in Canada. Where else are you looking to open stores? Uh, you know, we're looking. We're actually going to be opening up in Washington next year, Washington State, 
Uh, we're going to continue growing in California. We've got Bakersfield, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo. So there's a lot of opportunity for us in California. There's still opportunity for us in uh, Orange County and the L.A. County area. Uh, we're going to continue in Nevada. Uh, we're looking in Arizona, Texas as well. We'll probably be at the trade show in Texas next year. So, you know, a lot of, you know, we're really focusing on the West Coast right now um, just because of our training program and logistically we like to be able to get into the stores, you know, as often as possible. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for your time today and continue success with Chronic Tacos. I appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome back to the live version of Critical Mass Radio Show. And if you're expecting to hear my interview with Don Depke, hold on. We're running a little bit long with our franchising audio and interviews that I did. She is here in the studio. We've had a great conversation so far. She'll be joining the show shortly. You know, as I said, I talked to the, I went to the Franchise Expo because I was so intrigued by how many jobs are created. Uh, a couple bullets. In the past year and a half, the franchise sector accounted for roughly 10% of all new jobs created, bringing total jobs in the industry to more than 8 million people as of today. The franchising sector is forecasted to grow faster than the broader economy. And while franchise sector is outgrowing the broader economy, as in expected to increase from post-recession average in 2013, growth is still expected to remain below recession levels. Franchisers are optimistic about 2014, and the top policy concerns of franchisees are government regulation and health care costs. Let's go back and listen to a few more interviews that I conducted at the West Coast Franchising Expo. This is Rick Franzi at the West Coast Franchise Expo, and I'm speaking with Craig Sicanti. Craig, tell me a little bit about your brand. Sure. Pinot's Palette is a paint and, is in the paint and sip industry. So what we do is a popular girls' night out or date night, a lot of team building events. People sign up for a two- or three-hour class. It costs about $35, $45. They come out um, for that evening with some friends. They paint a painting, take that painting home at night, um, and leave with some memories. What was the inspiration for this concept? We really love, uh, Charles and I, the co-founders, we really love the fun night out. So having something different to do. You can only do movies and sushi so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a, a great idea where you get to express yourself, surprise yourself with some creativity and painting. Um, and then the, the Pinot, the wine part of it is an important part to, to loosen up and find that discovery in yourself. So you're here at the Expo, and obviously you've been talking with potential franchisees. Tell me a little bit about your expansion plans for the West Coast. Sure. We love the West Coast, uh, especially the California area. People love wine here. They really get it. So uh, it's a natural fit for us in this area. You know, what we're looking for um, in the right owners um, to find success is just that sheer passion for that fun night out, um, especially wine's a part of it. And they need to be uh, really interested in getting out to promote the brand and understand some general concepts of, of marketing mostly. And your concept started in Houston, is that correct? That's right. We founded in Houston, Texas in 2009. Um, we've been growing and franchising since 2010. We're currently at 60 locations in wow. 25 states all over the U.S. And where do you see this going in the future, beyond Southern California, beyond the, the stores that you have? How do you see the future for your brand? Yeah, uh, we really want Pinot's Palette to be a household name all over the U.S. Uh, we expect to be at about 100 locations towards the end of next year and continue to bring on partners that share the same passion um, to bring this concept to the community. I understand you have a location here in Orange County as well. We do. Uh, Tustin, the Tustin location will be opening about 10 weeks. We have one in Valencia opening in three. Uh, we have one in San Francisco. It's been open for about three months. So if someone wants to learn more about your brand online, how do they find you? Sure. They just get on Google, type in Pinot's Palette, 
You'll find our website. We have a whole franchise section that will give you information about our team, how to get involved, the right people, and uh, you know success criteria for yourself. Thank you for your time today. Take care. This is Rick Franzi with Critical Mass Radio Show, and today I'm speaking with... John Twist. John, we're at the West Coast Franchising Expo. Tell me a little bit about batteries and bulbs. Well, we're batteries plus bulbs. We are the nation's first, largest, and fastest growing all-battery and all-bulb concept. Uh, this is our 25th year. We've been in business since 1988, started franchising in 1992, and today we operate 482 stores in 46 states and uh, growing very quickly. We're opening faster than a store a year, and that's a pace we hope to, uh, to continue to sustain. So I understand you have one location here in Orange County and others in Southern California. Uh, what are you looking to do as far as growth, as far as franchisees and franchises here in Southern California? Well, that's a great question. Uh, we love California. We we have about 30 stores across the state, but we're we're underrepresented in Southern California, and we see uh, kind of the perfect storm of opportunity developing here. There is such growing demand for replacement batteries, and now. Uh, replacement bulbs with the transition from old incandescent style lighting to energy efficient uh, LED and uh, we think we're uniquely positioned to fill that demand in a way that no one else can do or has done in Southern California so we're here at this expo engaging with people interested in starting their own business and we're certainly representing that we are very much a needs-based business with a consumable product that creates just repeat customer business is batteries plus bulb a B2B business model, a B2C, or a hybrid? Yeah, that's a great question. We're actually both. Uh, certainly, we are a retail operation. We open, we're open seven days a week, and, and we derive about 65% of our revenue from selling to and supporting consumers. Uh, however, about 35 to 40% of our business comes from selling downstream uh, commercially, uh, serving as a, as a wholesale distributor, supporting businesses that use batteries and bulbs in their business. So we're able to go and support places like hotels and hospitals and schools and manufacturing plants and distribution centers, any place that uses batteries and bulbs in their business, we're able to provide them and support them. Well, both of those products are quite ubiquitous, aren't they? And sometimes they're hard to find as well. Yeah, they are very hard to find most of the times, and that's really our value proposition. We're all about availability. A typical batteries plus bulb store will carry about 850 unique battery stock keeping units and about 600 unique bulbs. And that's supported by a supply chain that has another 6,000 in inventory. So effectively, you know, we've got it. We've either got it in the store or we've got it in our supply chain, and we can provide it. So we're all about batteries and bulbs that you just can't find or nowhere to find anywhere else. Talk to me about the type of business person that buys a Batteries Plus Bulbs franchise. Well, as you can imagine, people come to our system from all different backgrounds. And because we're such a well-developed system, you know, we've been doing this for 25 years, we've got uh, very well-established processes and procedures and systems. So really what we look for are people that can simply operate the system as it's designed and spend their time and focus on customers, being able to engage the customer both in the store but also engage with their, their commercial customers at their place of business and represent how we can support and supply their needs. Final question. It has to do with people. I, I went to an economic conference earlier this week and really learned how important new jobs are 
started by new business formation. And certainly as you start new franchises, that's a new business formation. Can you talk a little bit about employment and what a franchisee can expect as far as the number of people and how, how many your organization has across the country? Yeah, great. Uh, a typical newer store. We're not, we're not a very labor intensive business, uh, where you need, you know, 20 or 30 folks. But it is a business where you want people that can engage in, in friendly conversation with, with people. Uh, so a typical store will run on about four or five full-time equivalent associates. Uh, very common for store owners to, to open multiple stores over time. And it's very common to have four or five, six stores, which could, uh, which would be supported by a staff of, you know, maybe 20 or 30 people. Uh, system wide with our 582 stores plus our corporate operations, Gosh, I'd say uh, collectively batteries plus bulbs is supporting, oh, man, I'm doing some quick math here. Uh, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand couple thousand people at least, probably more than that, maybe 5,000 people system-wide. Well, it's been great talking to you, John. I want to continue, once you continue success with your business model and your concept, and thanks for coming to Southern California. Yeah, we appreciate it. We're really excited about uh, expanding our presence here in Southern California and look forward to servicing everybody's battery and bulb needs. Thanks. Okay, welcome back to the live version of the Critical Mass Radio Show. And I just want to let you know for those listeners that are listening to us live today that we have a couple more interviews that I captured at the West Coast uh, Franchising Expo. And I'm going to be playing those on our Thursday show, which can be heard live here on OC Talk Radio at 3 p.m. West Coast time tomorrow. And so if you uh, would like to hear more of what we caught from the show, please stay tuned and listen to us tomorrow. We're going to take a short commercial break. And then, as I said, our second featured guest today, Don Depke, she will be with us. And I'll tell you, the studio smells marvelous. She brought us a couple samples, candles and soap and unbelievable fragrance. But we'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Com. I got stuff to the right, more stuff to the left. Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step. So I smart stopped and took a minute to think. I need a little better spot, not under the sink. With Smart Stop, I leave the stress at the door. Cause it's the smarter way to store. Smart Stop bucks the system. Your first month's rent is just a buck. Your next three months are half off. Call 888-97-STORAGE and mention this station. Goodbye clutter, hello floors. Smart Stop, the smarter way to store. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, 
and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. And welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We would like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. Last month, you downloaded over 13,000 episodes of our radio show, and we here at the radio program and the radio station do appreciate your continued support. All of our shows can be heard live here on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcasted business-oriented podcasting services. All right, now let's turn our attention to our second guest, Don Depke, who is the founder of Aroma Seas, is here in the studio. Don, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Tell me a little bit about, you're welcome, tell me a little bit about your professional background, sort of what you did prior to Aroma Seas. Well, I've done pretty much one thing, shiatsu, for the last 14 years. And most people say, what is shiatsu? Well, shiatsu is a form of Japanese body work. It's like acupuncture without the needles. So I've been helping people heal headaches, back pain, just making them feel really good. Okay. So you were a therapist? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about your founding of Aroma Seas. Why did you start the firm, and what is it that the firm does? Oh, great. Well, there's two main reasons why I started it. It's been quite a journey. The first one is in college. I couldn't decide between health and art as a major. And so I dabbled in both of them, well, health one, and um, that's right after college is when I started studying shiatsu and um, just went full force into opening my own practice, and um, then I started teaching massage therapy, mm-hmm. and that's been a really awesome career. Um, that's helped me realize really taking care of yourself on many different levels really makes a difference, um, because the second reason I was diagnosed in 2000 with an incurable autoimmune disease, and that's what truly, um, I took the then and said, you know, I was told I would have to have surgery for the rest of my life every, about every two years. Hmm. And um, that just was not okay. So I promised myself in that moment, I will search to the ends of the earth to find a cure for this. And um, I ended up meeting the head of the Endometriosis Society who said they were linking it to an autoimmune disease. And so this was before Google, okay. and I didn't know what an autoimmune disease was. So um, I, I figured it out, and I started meeting the right people and got introduced to essential oils, and I got introduced to a, a naturopath who taught me that food matters, <laughs> right? Absolutely. What you put in your body matters. Right. And through the process, I just met incredible healers and, and people that guided me, and I learned that what you put on your skin also matters. Makes right? perfect sense, what right. A concept. Right. <laughs> and so you now create what? I create non-toxic, phthalate-free, environmentally responsible, beautifully unique candles, soaps, um, room diffusers, and chapsticks, and I make my own deodorant and um, toothpaste and all sorts of things. But the things I really focus on selling are the candles and the soap. And so how did you go from the realization of how important it is of what you put in your body and on your body to your personal health to saying, as an entrepreneur, I can create a line of products that complements my belief system. How, how did that happen? You know, I, I get asked that all the time, and I really think that I just have that creative energy inside of me. Okay. That I love creating, and I love experimenting, and um, I love seeing things just, I don't know, come from nothing. So um, part of it was... 
I read a brochure called Rub-A-Dub-Dub is Cancer in Your Tub. And it talked about all the different chemicals that are in our body care products. And I got scared because I looked at my shampoo, my conditioner, my deodorant, my toothpaste, the shower gels. Everything that I was using had chemicals that were linked to causing some sort either cancer or Alzheimer's disease. And so I threw them all away, and I started finding natural products. Well, this was in early 2000s, and there there wasn't very many options. And... Um, as I started to find them and use them, um, there was like maybe one or two ingredients that were questionable. And so I finally got fed up and I just said, you know, I can do this myself. And I actually learned from YouTube and just dabbling and, uh-huh. you know, failing and trying again and failing and trying again. So that's, that's how it all started. It's amazing to me when you read labels of food or products that you put on your body, how many ingredients you don't recognize maybe you can't pronounce but yet someone said it's okay for you to eat this or use this and to me it seems very odd in our quest for science that we've come up with these created products that really i i think are foreign to the body when we ingest them or we apply them to our body so oh yeah absolutely again ladies and gentlemen too bad that we're not on a camera or you can't smell what you can hear because uh, i'm holding a bar of soap it's rosemary eucalyptus and i have a candle that don was gracious enough to bring in which is pumpkin spice and uh, i had to keep my engineer away from it because he's trying to steal it because he wants to take it (laughs) home for his wife and that's not going to happen so i'm I'm bringing it home for my family what is your guiding principle, Don, as you're building this entrepreneurial venture? What, what is it that you, you, of all the things you know from business and you've learned, what is your overarching belief system? Well, I have two. The first one is I don't do it if I'm not passionate about it. I have to enjoy it. Life is too short to do something that you're miserable with, and um, so I have to love it. I have to be passionate about it. And so I'm definitely passionate about this. This right. is a perfect combination of the two majors that I was struggling to pick one, art and health. I can make beautiful, healthy products and that, you know, they're healthy for people to use. So it's creating and it's a great expression of the two of them. Um, the one, the one principle that I've said all through the last 14 years of my shiatsu career and, and being a body worker is to empower, inspire, and educate others to increasing levels of health and wellness. And I feel like that's very appropriate to continue to use. Even though I'm not necessarily physically helping somebody heal, I'm making products that are plant-based with essential oils and, like you said, food-grade quality, no chemicals that I can't pronounce, putting that on their skin it's it can fit with that as well mm-hmm. tell me about the learning curve for actually be your manufacturer I am. so so tell me about how did you you're obviously you, you've learned a lot of lessons and you're making beautiful product tell me just a little bit about the learning curve in doing that well of course there's a few flops and sometimes the the mold leaked and soap got everywhere i was really fortunate one of my my best friends in chicago was learning how to make soap at the same time i was she was about a month ahead of me okay so i'd watch youtube videos i would look there's a lot of forums and things online that you can look and read is this your first product then was this the first product you brought to market with soap yes okay yeah absolutely um so yes i went to visit her and she had a few of those really really important things that I just couldn't get all figured out. Okay. So um, I, I thanked Anya so much. Um, she really helped me get over some of those. Um, candles I almost gave up on. They're, right. they're very challenging to figure out. Um, there, there's so many little aspects, what size holder and what size wick, and I needed cotton, and I needed everything to be non-toxic. And um, it can be challenging to find companies that I order from that actually have these 
type of ingredients. So they're very expensive. Right. Um, and so in order for me to be able to create this um, and, and offer it at a price that people can actually afford afford it um, has been challenging because I'm so small. I'm a one-man shop that I can't buy in big quantities. So I have to be very smart with how I do this. And I'm not willing to compromise the ingredients that are in them. Good. Don't. I won't. Pre- uh, in working with entrepreneurs, what I find is sometimes life will challenge the entrepreneur to cut corners, to compromise their strategies. And it's a delicate balance between being a viable business and staying true to maybe sometimes the, the foundations of what you and how you started the business. I also tend to believe that if you hold true to your belief system, life brings you the solutions to your problems if you're willing to persevere. Absolutely. I, I agree 100% with that. So so tell me about how you go to market. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you for your website later, and I'm mm-hmm. sure people can, can learn more about you and your firm, possibly even buy product from your website. But how do you how do you go to market now? Uh, well, it's me doing everything again, and I was fortunate enough to have awesome friends who love my products, and they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. And um, it's actually, for me, been a really easy journey. Um, I had a client who worked for Whole Foods who took my stuff into the buyers. They loved it. It took a year. I got in Whole Foods. Um, I'm in Greenleaf Chop Shop. Just I'm locally just talking to people in restaurants and boutiques and things, and I've had a lot of people try my product, love it, and then come to me and say, oh, I want I want to sell this in my boutique, or I want to sell this at my yoga studio or at my hair salon. Okay. So you have, is it is your distribution primarily here in Southern California at this point? It is. Um, I'm looking at Florida pretty soon. Um, Portland, Oregon is interested. I'm in Iowa. That's where my family is. Oh, okay. And mostly saturating Orange County. Right. And that makes sense, right? You start here, and Whole Foods has other locations beyond the market here in Southern California, so possibly they represent an opportunity to scale outside of the Orange County, oh, Southern California definitely. area as well, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. What a great, um, what a great get yes. to be able to do that. But I also know that you've utilized Etsy to reach your target market, and I wonder if you could discuss first explain what Etsy is, because maybe some of the business owners who listen to the show aren't aware of that. And then if you could discuss how you've been able to use this website to your advantage, I think that's very instructional for other entrepreneurs that are out there. Oh, definitely. Well, Etsy is a platform, actually a wonderful platform, that's for people who hand make items. It could be anything, but it has to be handmade. So um, for us people that aren't very computer savvy or don't know how to build a website or don't have the resources or the money to be able to spend five ten thousand dollars creating a website, Etsy is a wonderful platform where you actually just plug in your pictures, you plug in your text, and voila, you have a website. Okay. So the it's marketplace then. Very easy. Okay. Yes, and they just take a small amount each sale, and you set up everything. Um, and, and there's even a mobile app that I can go on if I am traveling and I forget something. I can change it or modify. It's so easy to use. Hmm. And it's spelled how? E-T-S-Y. Etsy. Etsy. There you go. See? And our engineer is pointing to himself for some reason. I'm not sure why. He's he's He's, he's an Etsy that. shopper. He may, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> see? 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 Don fits into the studio quite well. Uh, let's talk about a challenge facing your business. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm interested in your challenge, but I'm also, and the audience is as well, interested in what you're doing to kind of mitigate that challenge from affecting the the business performance. So can you share a challenge with us? Oh, yes. I'm right in the midst of one. I do everything. 
from the product design to the product development to the manufacturing to designing all my labels, my packaging. I do all the sales, all the deliveries, um, customer service, quality control, everything. Oh, my god! Everything. So it can be a bit overwhelming. And I didn't think of all these aspects as I was starting this. Uh-huh. I actually just started this business for me. You know, I wanted to have really healthy products. And then at Christmas time, a few years ago, I gave them as gifts. Uh-huh. And then, you know, they wanted to give them to their friends. And it really just grew from there. I mean, like tremendously grew from there. So I, I never really thought about, oh boy, how do I manage all of this? And I, I'm very detail oriented and very creative all in the same body. And so it's very satisfying for me to be able to do this business, but it gets overwhelming doing everything. So my current challenge is how do I take care of everything? Um, how do I grow with maintaining the quality of the product? How do I train somebody that one extra drop of essential oil can change the whole formula? That it's so important to be so detailed. Wow. Um, and how to give that up, too. Because if, if if anybody looks at my ingredients, the last ingredient is 100% unadulterated joy. Mm. I can't teach somebody to love doing this. So when I do expand and if I do hire people and go bigger, they will have to be a very special person. Right. They're out there though, right? They are. And maybe they're listening to the radio show today. I hope so. Or as a podcast (laughs) in the future or through social media somehow, and maybe they will seek you out. Because again, this is another thing as far as the culture goes and your brand differentiation. You don't want to lose that when you scale the business, but it is a challenge because more cost comes into the business too as you begin to scale it, right? Oh, absolutely. Your time is kind of quote, unquote free, mm-hmm. right? And when you all of a sudden not have to hire somebody to do the work that you used to do for free, you've got to figure out how to compensate that person and make the profits that you want to make and need to make to grow the business. Yeah, and not compromise the product. And not compromise you know, not the product. Them, so yeah. there, there, I'm thinking there is such an awakening in this country, and maybe it started here in Southern California. Many good trends do, especially in Orange County. Healthy eating, healthy living, that you are capturing a macroeconomic phenomenon that's going on and around the world so you really do have an opportunity to not only make a great product and build loyal customer base off of your reputation but if people become aware of your brand i think there's a there's an affinity for it that's beyond what you can do in your direct kind of marketing that you can do the way the way that you've built this business now so it's it's really interesting to see who else might come into your life that can help you to scale the business too oh i definitely be, believe that we attract people that's how i healed endometriosis i met the right people i've never had surgery again i'm, I'm healthier than i've ever been and i was told it was incurable so i think when you really have um, an intention and you, and you really believe in that um, people will come into your life they'll show up you know, and, and for me, I've been really fortunate. I was told when I first started in the career of shiatsu that people don't know what that is. You're never going to succeed. And I had a full practice in a year. Hmm. And I mean, this was in 2000 that I started. I, I have seen, I've lived in Milwaukee and Chicago and now here. And I have seen people all those years that want to be healthy. They're open-minded. They're, they're interested in, in quote unquote, the alternative health or natural healing. Um, to me, it's not new. It's like I surround myself with those people, but there are people out there that really have never heard of this stuff or, or think about what I put in my body matters. You know, so I think there's definitely an awakening for sure. And sometimes it happens to people when they confront an illness that forces them to realize that they they are mortal. I mean, mm-hmm. we all recognize that on some theoretical level, but when you're faced with maybe a life-threatening disease, you begin to realize it's not just a theory, it's a fact, and you want to do everything you can, obviously, to prolong your life. And um, 
and sometimes they begin on their own voyage to discover and um, not that we promote or take a definite position on certain things here but I do strongly believe that the standard American diet can be an unhealthy way to live if if, if you don't realize what you're putting into your body and this is a very for me a very logical extension to also being very sensitive to what you put on your body because you're absorbing whatever those chemicals are aren't you in oh, your yeah. circulatory system in some way yes your skin is your largest organ there you go and so it, the same and, and so it to me I made the rec- recognition between what I put in my mouth and my health because it is the fuel that you bu- you burn for your body, and I can very logically now understand that what you put on your body has a great determinant to your own health as well. Um, so, how many different fragrances and aromas? I mean, tell me a little bit about you, you know, how you scaled your product line. Well, I told you I'm creative, so boy, oh boy, I didn't stop. I have over 28, probably 30 now, different soap aromas, okay. and I use only essential oils in my soap. I use, I start with um, all food-grade quality, so like coconut oil, olive oil, um, locally sourced palm oil. They're all edible before I turn them into soap. And um, I have room and body sprays that I that match the soap. So I have about 21 different sprays um, coming out with my holiday line right now. And then with candles, I have about 15 different aromas in the candles. This is amazing. You're a Costa Mesa-based company. Yes. Right? We're here in Costa Mesa, California. And so I don't know that Costa Mesa is the hub for healthy living, but uh, one of my good friends is uh, Jenny Ross, and she has 118 Degrees, which is a raw and health food restaurant here on on Bristol here in Costa Mesa. And I've learned a lot from her because she writes books and speaks about healthy living and food, actually the the healing power of different foods. It, It really has made me realize that, there are ways to address your illnesses and illness prevention. Some of them are established medical philosophies and beliefs, and others are natural holistic health, which can be just as effective, if not more effective, if you believe it and then seek it out. Definitely. And, and this, I, I think you hit a key point there with prevention. Right. We can prevent this, people. Right. You know, We can be healthy along the way. Don't wait to get sick. Right. You know, prevent. And so that's part of my motto is to educate people that you don't have to wait till you get sick. How about you change your lifestyle and eat healthy and use healthy products and be happy and have fun and laugh and, right. you know, don't get sick. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the future. Yes. What uh, we were talking in the studio during the first episode about, you know, other guests that we've had on the show and some of their exit strategies and how they've scaled their business. So as a young entrepreneur who's building a thriving business, what's your vision of the future, Don? Oh, boy, the future is unlimited. Okay. Um, I see. I really was raised with the belief that I could do anything. My parents were amazing. And so for me, I have to really hold in the reins a little bit because um, when I set my mind on something, I just go for it. But through my research and, and looking at other companies that, that are doing these same things, I have seen it where they've grown too fast and they've had to close because they weren't able to fulfill orders. And I came up with a little bit of that um, in the, you know, a few months ago, had a big order and was really challenged to be able to produce that much. So for me, it's um, I'm trying to grow in a healthy way so mm-hmm. that I don't stress myself out because that would be really contradicting, like my purpose. Right. So um, it's it could be big, it could be really whatever I want it to be. So the, I'm kind of at a crossroads now, trying to decide, you know, how big to to make this. But you know, I think everybody should have access to healthy things. So yeah, as a manufacturer, you've got to buy the raw material, you've got to turn it into a finished product, you've got to then sell it so there's a 
cash flow requirement, right? That mm-hmm. man, all yes. manufacturers have. You got to be able to fund your products before you realize your sales, and then you got to wait thirty or sixty days for the people to pay you. And yes. sometimes people don't want to pay you till it sells through, and it gets really kind of complex. And then the other thing is just the ability to have the facilities that can scale to volume. Are there places in Orange County where entrepreneurs who are making food-grade products like this can go to make larger volume as they scale their business? Or how do you see growing your manufacturing footprint? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure in this area. I know they do have certified kitchens. Um, for me, the soap takes four to six weeks to cure. So there is quite a process. Oh my God. And I do four need a lot six of space. Weeks. Four to six weeks, yes. So um, there's a there's a long time process within this as well. Um, what I see is, is getting a, a warehouse where it's retail and where I can okay. actually make like the, a the products. Yes. Right, right. So a little storefront that I can manufacture and retail all in one and let my cute little soaps cure, you know, because they do take up a, a lot of space. I didn't realize that soap required that much time to cure. It does. When you say curing, does that mean getting the moisture out of the soap? Yes. Becoming hard. Mm -hmm. Becoming hard? Yeah, about 24 hours after it's been in the mold, you can actually stick your finger through it. It's soft. Uh You can mold it into whatever shape you want. Look at you. You've learned all this. I mean, this is amazing. It's crazy. Isn't this amazing how much you've learned? I I I love it when an entrepreneur builds a business out of a personal realization and a need and finds other like-minded clients. That is, to me, the... One of the most genuine forms of entrepreneurship, it, and, and I'm I'm so excited for your success, and I want to try to help you with any contacts and relationships that we have here in Orange County to continue to thrive and grow the business. So, if someone wanted to buy your products, learn about your process, learn about your personal story, tell us how they find you online. Well, there's two different websites I have. One, of course, is aromaseize.com, spelled A-R-O-M-A-S-E-I-Z-E, as in two. Carpe Diem sees the moment to capture those aromas. And then the second is Depkey Wellness, D-E-P as in Paul, K as in Key, E as in Edward Wellness. And that's my health, my husband's and my health business where I have videos on there as well as all my products. Um, the Etsy site is the Aroma Seas one and Basically, that's a great one to see any new products that I have, or if I'm just testing a product, I have some different stuff on that one. Um, you can always call me as well. I love to talk to people and answer questions and help them along their health journey. Um, my, my telephone number, my direct line to my office is 949-387-0016. You know, as, as you're think, talking about this, I'm thinking we're coming up on the holiday seasons here. If anybody in the audience has someone who has an ailment or in the spirit of prevention, you know, uh, would like to, these are the kind of gifts that can also uh, help people to re- begin to realize the benefits of healthy living in a non-threatening way. Right? Definitely. This absolutely. Is, this is not like, oh, you got to, you know, you can't <laughs> eat a hamburger anymore, but you know, here's a way to begin to, to take care of and nourish your body uh, on the outside and the inside. So these would be ideal gifts to give to people that you love and care about. They are, and I have some really great packaging. I, I use all biodegradable packaging, so I have these cute little hemp pouches, uh-huh. and um, they've been selling already like crazy. Well, Don, I think, ladies and gentlemen, you were lucky to hear Don Depke talk about Aroma Seas here on Critical Mass Radio Show because someday you're going to see her products all over the world and go, I remember back in this 2013 when Rick Franzi had her on the show. I want to thank you for being a thrilling guest. This has been wonderful. Thank you for giving up your time. 
being a friend of the program and welcome to our community. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate your time. Uh, my, my pleasure. I love to do that here on Critical Mass Radio Show. I'd like to thank our engineer today, Paul Roberts, and our producer, Rachel Franzi, as well as our guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Succession Strategies, HBLA, as well as Smart Business Magazine and Smart Stop Self Storage. This is your host, Rick Franzi, saying until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your business decisions will move your firm in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show right here in Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. Dot net.